uh, this 15th chapter of uh, the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is a pretty tough chapter. It's a pretty long chapter. And so we got through the first section of it last week, but Paul was pretty much uh, defending uh, the resurrection. You know, he defended the resurrection by talking about the foundational truth about the resurrection that Jesus came, he died, and he was raised from the dead, which is the foundation of the gospel. And as a result of that, there had been some people we learned in the, in the church that was doubtful of the resurrection. So he spent, the, the last week we spent the time showing how he was trying to convince them that there is a resurrection. If it wasn't a resurrection, then some of the things that we do and say will be just in vain. And so we have to accept this resurrection based on faith because none of us have seen it play out. And even tonight, as we read tonight, there's going to be some things in here in our mind we just ain't going to be able to, we ain't going to be able to wrap our mind around it. You know, it's just going to be uh, that we just have to say, okay, if it's say we're going to have this type of body, we're going to have to believe it. But try to figure out what it's going to look like exactly, I don't think nobody knows. So there's a lot of discussion, a lot of disagreement on that. And so we won't try to pinpoint that. We're just going to let the word speak for itself, and we're going to believe that, you know, our spirits will receive it. So what I want to do, I'm going to ask Brother Major to go ahead and kind of catch us up uh, by taking, a, taking us back and reading uh, Paul's case, uh, starting with verse 12, because the crux of what we're going to talk about tonight starts in 35. So I just want, for those who may be online for the first time, we're just going to kind of catch you up, and I may interject a little bit as he's reading, but then uh, we'll pick up in 35 with the new material that we want to cover tonight. First Corinthians 15, verse 12, starting with this. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. That's, now stop right there just for a minute. We made a point last week to say, hey, Paul is letting us know that if there is no resurrection, we might as well not even call ourselves Christians. Because the Christian faith is hinged on this truth of the resurrection. You know, uh, because if not, then all the other major religions have a key figure that they look up to. No matter whether you're in Islam or in Hinduism, everybody got a key figure that they look up to. The difference is that we believe the figure that we look up to was raised from the dead. And, and so, so, so people will acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. They'll acknowledge him as a lot of things because there's no argument whether or not there was a Jesus in the earth during this time. The argument comes when we say two things. He's the son of God and he was raised from the dead. You know, that's where the argument comes. So that's why he's defending that because that is what the foundation of Christianity is built on. So go ahead and read on. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. In other words, he's making the point there is that, hey, 
if, if our faith is useless and if there is no resurrection, then there's a lot of people who died believing that. And if they died believing in a resurrection that is not going to happen, then they're just lost. That, that there is no hope for them. And so therefore he's making the point that, that we have to hold on to this truth that there is a resurrection because if not, then we lost. And he's going to kind of make that here in a minute. We had a laugh about that. Say, look, man, you know, we just pitiful. <laughs> Go ahead and read on. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Okay, that's what we're going to be hitting into tonight. What happens when he comes back or when he raised those who are believers uh, from the dead? Go ahead. After the end will come, when, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Mm -hmm. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Mm -hmm. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Okay, go ahead. If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized with those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? Now here we talked, stopped and talked about that a little bit last week too. So apparently there was this practice maybe uh, that was going on. It don't look like it was something that Paul was instituting, but he was just referring to it, that some people may have believed in the resurrection enough to say, that, okay, if my uncle didn't get saved before he died, I believe so much in the resurrection that I'm going to vicariously get baptized for him and believe that by me getting baptized for him, he too will be raised from the dead. So his point was, if you don't believe in a resurrection, then why are you doing that for someone who's already dead? So, so, so this is not a doctrinal thing. Now, I have not seen churches that believe that. Now, I, I've heard people uh, believe that, they, that there's a holding place out there when you die. If you're not saved, you, you, you go to purgatory or somewhere and then People can pray for you and believe that they can pray you into heaven. I, I, you know, that is not something that I, that I believe. I believe, you know, you need to make this decision on this side. But if that is uh, the case, God can do what he wants. But on this side, I'm just going to believe that I need to accept him while I can and, and don't believe that Fred or Major is going to be praying for me after I'm gone because they still got to live their life. But now, if, if that's what some people want to believe, that's fine. You know, but we got to believe, we're taught, that, hey, man, you need to acknowledge him while you can. You know, Brother Fred, then Brother Hurt. Yeah, Pastor, that, that don't make much sense because 
the Bible says he that believes is baptized, not somebody else that believes and is baptized in your place shall be saved. So, so I mean, you get baptized in the place of your uncle, that don't get up to your uncle. But you ain't here. Amen. 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 Okay, Brother Herb? Well, one thing I'm just saying, there's nothing written about such a thing of um, baptizing for someone. There's, I mean, it's, it's not even written in the Bible. I mean, where can they get that from? Like, it's not written in the Bible. Everything we talk about right now it is written in the Bible. Yeah, and, but uh, and again, it's not written as a practice that we ought to do. But it's mentioned here as probably something that people were doing out of ignorance or for whatever reason they were doing it. So he was saying, if you, you, if some of you are so strong that you don't believe in the resurrection, then why are you getting baptized for someone who's already dead? Okay, and and I agree. I don't think that there is no no there is no scripture that say that's a practice that we ought to be doing on behalf of a, a dead relative. You know, that that is not supported by scripture. Brother Woods, you got something? Oh, Brother Mike, I see my Brother Mike. Can you have a mic? Yes. Yes, concerning the um, place of death. The church, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, somewhere in the 15th century, they took this idea that the church had the power to bring some people to death. So to send the people to death for this purpose, they, they would receive money from families to pray for the dead. And the disease, they cannot send it to And again, I know that a, a lot of things that, that uh, we see uh, 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 that have come into Christianity, there are some of the practices that come out of the Catholic Church. Because again, Catholic Catholicism just simply means universal religion. At one time, that was the religion. But that's why you hear the term Catholics or Protestants. Because at one time, all the people like Martin Luther, the Wesleyans, and all of everybody was Catholic. But they had a falling out, and they broke away. And when they broke away, they became known as Protestants. And from the Protestants come all the religion faiths that we have now, Baptist, Methodist. They all kind of spring out of that Protestant Reformation movement that defies some of the things that the Catholic Church had put in place. But, but you know, the, but the Catholicism and the Catholic um, mindset is, is interwoven in. So there's some things that, that, that still stay with the 
Protestant church that came out of the, the Catholic church. Brother Mike? Okay. Yeah. Major. Um, things, so what, what Paul was doing was he, he was making a case for the resurrection, not necessarily the practice, whether it existed or not. So apparently it did in, in, in those times. But what he was saying was, okay, these people did this, whether you believe they did it or not. He was saying they had to believe in the resurrection. Then why, why were they getting baptized on someone else's behalf so that they would be raised if you don't believe in the resurrection. That's right. He was, he was saying, you guys are making a bad argument when y'all got folks practicing something that as if you believe something, you say you don't believe. And, and that was his point that he was trying to make. Go ahead and read on so we can get to the night and he makes some other points. And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there would be no resurrection from the dead? And if there's no resurrection, let's feast, drink, for tomorrow we die. And, and that's what he was saying. He was, I think he was using a little sarcasm there. He said, look, he kind of sounded like Solomon. You know, when you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon kind of make a statement, hey, you know, everybody's going to die. So since we know that to be a truth, then we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. Have fun because, hey, at the end of the day, everybody dying, whether you good or bad, you're going to die. And if you don't believe in heaven and hell, then you might as well buy, buy into that philosophy. If you don't think there's a heaven or a hell that you can go to, then, yeah, why go through all these church services? Why go through all these, these rituals? Why go through all the things that we do as Christians? If you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe there's going to be a heaven or hell or a time of judgment. And so he was making that point, hey, if that's the case, then we just come into church, going through all these motions, when we could really be just living life and having fun, just being merry, you know. Okay, sarah, sarah, whatever going to be, going to be, and just let it come. But that is not our position. I mean, we believe in, in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and so therefore, that's a foundational truth that we have to stand on, even if we can't comprehend all of the, the facets that, that comes with his resurrection. And even when we start talking here next in a few minutes uh, about the resurrected body, it, you know, some of this stuff is, is mind-blowing that, that we're going to read. Go ahead, and, go ahead and finish that up, Major, so we can get into 35. 33. Don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. Now, now get this, and that, and that was the point that we made last week. He said, hey, look, I'm sitting in this church talking to all these folks who profess to be Christians. I got to teach them this doctrine of the resurrection and tell them how true that is. 
But at the end of his argument, he says, you know, think carefully about what is right. Stop sinning. And then he says, for to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God. So he was talking to a church full of folks and telling them that based upon what he has picked up by being around them, some of them come into church and don't even know God. Because it's going to be hard to know God in the way that you should if you don't believe in the resurrection. I mean, that, that's a foundational truth that we have to believe in. So if you're not going to believe that and you're not going to believe the, 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 the tenets of who Jesus Christ was, the Son of God, then the question is, without that, you can practice any religion you want. But let me tell you why. Because if you study other religions, some of the most religions have the same basic principle. Most religions talk about love. Most religions talk about peace. Most religions talk about harmony. Most religions talk about some of the same principles that we talk about in Christianity. You know, and, and a lot of religions do believe in a hereafter. And, and so what happens is when you interject Jesus in the picture, that's what make everything kind of go awry because everybody don't accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's, that's the deal breaker. And so when we, when we understand that, and sometimes we have to defend that, we don't have to argue with people about that, but Jesus made it clear he is the way, the truth, and the light. No man come to the Father but by him. And so therefore we stand on that, we believe that, but I don't argue with people if they don't believe that. But I just gotta be strong enough in my faith that now I'm talking to someone else of another faith, not to argue, but just to have an inquiry with one another. I gotta walk away from that feeling sure of who I am. I can't walk away from that doubting, man, yeah. I wonder, was Jesus really the son of God? You know, they, somebody wrote in the Bible that somebody said they stole his body. So if they stole his body, then there really was no resurrection. So, but if you believe the testimony that Paul gave, the 500 people saw him, the disciples saw him, and all the people who witnessed him had firsthand accounts of him, then you have to stand on that, and we have to stand on that. And, and, and we don't say this to argue with other religions because they're devout people in every faith that, that are being taught how to defend what they believe, just like you're being taught how to defend what you believe. And, and so there'll come a time when you just have to defend what you believe, and if you, the other person still disagree, as long as you walk away with your faith not being shaken, you can't walk away doubting you know, what you believe. See? And so when we look at this tonight now, starting in verse 35, you know, Paul now starts to talk about our present body and, 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 and then what is going to happen when the dead is raised. And, and, and let me just say this. This is probably one of the most controversial parts of the Bible right here. This doctrine and some of the things that come out of these words right here is argued by people a lot smarter than me that have been studying this stuff longer than me meaning that because certain things that come out of here is doctrine that you don't heard of people talk about the rapture, okay? But nowhere in the Bible do you find the word rapture, but people translate caught up to rapture. Okay, got it, but he said he's gonna be raised? Okay, well, we want to call it rapture, whatever. We just believe that, okay, he said he's gonna get up, they're gonna get up, okay? So, 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 Pastor, huh? so had Jesus not shown back up and showed himself to Thomas, it would've been just a lot of Judas, because he didn't believe that Jesus had gotten up. Remember, he, Thomas said, 
unless I see. So, so, so Jesus loved him so much that he showed up to let him know that, hey, look, you, you got to believe in order to come where I am once I leave and go back to the Father. Amen. But, and, and that supports the point that we were making at the end of last week when he was saying that, hey, some of y'all are sitting in here and you don't even know God. And that proves that that could still be true today because Thomas walked with him, saw him, heard his teaching, and he still didn't believe until he touched him and, and Jesus acknowledged that and said, hey, okay, now you do believe, but you know, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. They're more blessed than you are because there are people coming behind you who would not see me, who would not touch me, who would not have the first-hand account from these 500 witnesses like some of you have, but they're going to have to believe purely by faith. And that's what we are. We have to believe purely by faith. Okay, and, okay so now, in, in, in verse 35, he started this, this new conversation about our bodies and how he see this playing out based upon how God revealed it to him. And, and I like the way he start off by using this to try to make it, uh, uh, use an illustration that we can kind of wrap our minds around, even though later on it, it, it gets to the point that you really can't picture what he's talking about. You just have to kind of believe it, and we can all probably get a picture, but I guarantee you our picture may be a little bit different. Okay? But, but what he start off with is trying to let them know uh, by comparing it to how a seed go in the ground. And what he was, he's going to try to get them to see is that an apple tree and an apple looks nothing like the seed that go in the ground. And, and he used that to say, okay, if that seed go in the ground, if the little seed break forth, die, then bring forth a tree, when you die, you ain't gonna, and, and you come up, you ain't gonna look nothing like you did when you went down. It's not possible. You're not going to look like you did when you went down. Okay? So look what he says. He says now, by, start off by asking a couple questions to address this. He says, but some may ask, after we just got through talking about the resurrection, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Then he come back and say, what a foolish question. You know, now, you know, there's some of you, so that, I know that just upsets some folks in Germany, you know. Y'all thinking that, but that's just foolish for you. That's just so foolish. You know, what a, what a foolish question. But yeah, I mean, that's natural. Hey, how this gonna happen? What these bodies gonna look like? You talking about, you know, we know how people die and how we look when people die, and we know now that, hey, some people get cremated, you know? Some people, they leave, don't even find all their remains. So now when you read this and then you compare that to what you have seen in life, and then he's saying, hey, you know, you got some foolish questions to ask me about a resurrection. You say, man, wait a minute, that's logic. That, that's natural. And he's trying to get us to see that all these transactions are going to be spiritual. And when these things happen spiritually, we may not be able to comprehend them with our natural mind. That's why the Bible said we see in part now and we know in part. But in the fullness of time, we will know all things, but not now. So there's some things that in this, in, this, in, this, in this book that we have to accept in part as, and accept it as truth 
even though we have not seen it all play out and may never see it play out on this side. So look what he said. He said, you know, that's a foolish question. What kind of, you know, that's foolish. Now look what he said. When a seed, when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it first, unless it dies first. So in other words, when we plant an apple seed or peach seed or whatever it goes down there, you know what it looks like, you don't see seeds. Something happened to it when it go in the ground. It, it, it germinates, breaks forth, and when it breaks forth, what comes from that looks nothing like what you put down. And that's what he's saying. No matter what we look like when we go down, we ain't gonna look like that when we come up. And what we look like when we come up is your guess and my guess, and everybody can try to figure out what glorified bodies look like, what a spiritual body look like. You know, we can all sit here and imagine what that looked like. Okay. But all we know is the truth is that whatever you look like now, you ain't gonna look like when you come back. Amen. And so look at it. He says he has to die first. And look at verse 37. He says, and and what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. So now he's trying to get them to see, translate that to your body, your physical body, even though I'm talking about a plant and a seed, but I want you to see that I'm talking about your body. So whatever you see now is not going to be what you see when the resurrection comes. Okay. And so now, now look at this, verse 38. He says, then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind of human, another of animal, another of bird, and another of fish. And so he says, like, just like seeds are different, the species that God also created are different. And as they are different, then they are going to come back, the human species is going to come back different from the way it went down or the way it died. Okay? Now, look what he says in, in verse 40 and 41. He says, there are also bodies in the heaven. Now he started talking about the celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, uh, and bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. So the stars and the sun each are distinct in their own being, in their sphere and how they operate. The moon, make, we think the moon give off light, but all the moon does is reflect light from the sun. Stars, because of the heat, they give off light. And so what he's saying is that all these things are different, but all of them are created by God, and they function just like he wants them to function. Okay? And, and because they function like he wants them to function, we got to understand fish function like they're supposed to function. Human beings function like they're supposed to function. Cows, dogs, everything functions like they're supposed to function, and they're all different when it comes to their makeup. Now, now look at this in verse 40. In 41, he says, there are also bodies in the heavens, okay, I said that, and bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. He kind of talked about that, how the sun, the moon, the stars are all. He says, 
The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. Now, I'm not an astronomer and person who look at the stars, but you know, I did ask you know, Sirius some questions before I came in. And, and Sirius <laughs> let me know that man, each star is different based on, you know, I use them big scientific words I can't use here, but it got something to do with how much heat that they give off, and that heat caused them to shine some brighter than others, okay? And then we all know that the moon don't shine at all, but we think it does because we see it at night, but we have to understand it gets its light from the, from the sun. And all of them are different, but they function the way God ordained them to function. So we have to understand that, understand that when it comes to the species that we see here on earth. We, we function in the way that God has designed us and to his glory. Now look at this, verse 42, he says, in the same way, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. Well, some people will argue, probably start arguing right there. Well, no, they're not now. Some folks, they ain't planted in the ground. You know, Aunt Susie got cremated and we spread her over the Mississippi River. Yeah, but she was still dead. Still dead. And no matter what you did to that body, she wasn't coming back in that body no way. So if you decide to cremate it, or whether you just decide to let it turn to dust in the grave, at the end of the day, it's going back to, it's going back to dust. You know, you cremate somebody, they just piled dust. Piled dust. So, so because we see things done different now, someone could come to you as a young Christian and say, make that argument. Well, he said that, you know, when the bodies go in the ground, what about those folks who don't go in the ground? Okay. When they wrote this, they were putting them in the ground. They were dead, and they were putting them in the ground. Now, if you put them in a vault somewhere over here, and you got them in a chamber, they still dead. They still dead. And so the reason I try to be funny with that is because when you're talking to people today, they read that and say, well, hey, everybody don't go in the ground, so what does that mean? Well, you're right. But the truth is, they did. Because the Bible says everybody's going to die. They did. Brother Anthony? Amen. So he, look at this. He says, so when they die, they will be raised. Talking about after that now, he says, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Talking resurrection again. The earthly body is going to be planted somewhere, scattered somewhere. Something's going to happen to it. But it don't matter because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom anyway. So this body, I don't care how, how we try to preserve it, it can't go into the kingdom. Okay, Brother Mike, and then Fred. Yes, Pastor, that uh, declares 
Amen. Amen. And again, that's referencing back in Genesis where you know when God formed or created Adam out of the dust of the ground and he was just a pile of dirt until God breathed in him, the breath of life. That's where he's spirit, pneuma. When you go back and look that up, it talks about God breathing into him and that part makes us a spiritual being as just as much as a physical being. But what, we, what people fail to understand because we only relate to the physical, most people don't realize that you're, more, you're more, just as much spiritual as you are physical, you know? And so the, the three-part man, mind, soul, and body, you know, and talking about the spirit, soul, and body, you know, talking about how man is made up. God's spirit breathed into him. You got a, we got a will, we got an intellect, we got imagination, things that feel and make up our soul, and then this fleshly body, which make up, you know, the flesh. Being a three-part being. So the, the key thing is, is that, you know, there is a passage in the Bible that says that when you die, Paul said to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. But he's, he's, he wasn't saying his body was going somewhere. He was talking about his spirit. Okay? He says, now look. Verse 43. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness but they will be raised in glory. Talking about no matter how you die, this body's frail, this body's gonna get sick, this body's gonna get tired, this body's gonna go through the changes of life as you get older, you know? And so therefore, brokenness is just talking about how man that is born of a woman, a woman that is born of a woman, you know, you destined to die, you know? Death, death is a sentence that we all got on us Adam brought that in, and it's still here, and unless, you know, someone's going to be living when he comes back. But for, for the most part, folk, death is still reigning, undefeated. Fred. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, some, some people talk, wasn't about the ones that were lost at sea, but the Bible talks about the sea gave up the dead. Everything gave up the dead that was in it. The sea, whether you're on land or wherever you are. However, death, when we are buried, that seed, that spiritual seed, is what produces that glorious body from the ground. It, 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 so, like, like, like the pastor was talking about, atoms go back to dust because of the sin that he committed. That brought in death, that brought in everything. So, these, these bodies will go back to dust. But there's a seed in us, which is a spiritual seed, that that's going to die, and that glorious body. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. So, so God made us from the dust and breathed life into us. So, the, so the spirit of God is in every human. A spirit is in everybody. Yes. Yes. God, that God breathed part of of that God breathed part uh, of us is in everybody because it was breathed in Adam and we're, we're created after Adam, so therefore, there's a spiritual part of us, whether we're saved or not. Now, some will say, okay, that spirit is in you, but it's dormant and dead because it has to come back to life when you're born 
again. So, but that's another conversation. But to, but to answer your question, yes, we, we are spiritual beings, you know. And that's why there are people out there who, uh, whether they believe in Jesus or not, believe deeply in spirituality. And that's a, that's a lot of teaching going around now, especially in the younger generation. They're talking about, uh, you know, I don't want to say I'm a Christian anymore. I just want to say I'm spiritual because I know I'm a spiritual being and I believe in a higher power. I believe that there's an energy out there. I believe there's a force out there. I believe that there's something out there that creates things. But however, I'm, I'm going to come short of saying I believe in Jesus. I don't have to do that no more. I don't need Jesus because I'm spiritual, you see. And, and, and again, if nobody knows the truth, then somebody say, hey, that makes sense. We're all spiritual. We won't disagree about that. But then now, why do I have to accept Jesus to fulfill this resurrection piece and go to heaven? Well, that's where the argument comes. And like I say, you know, when, when, when we run up on situations like that, we just have to stand on the fundamental principles that we believe in. Because some of those arguments make good sense. You know, like I, I always use the example, like I was talking to my grandson or somebody, you know, he was talking about that first book, Genesis, and said, well, if God created everything, and uh, I believe that, I believe that, then if God created everything, then why couldn't God have created somebody other than Adam at the same time? It was him. Okay, he could, he may have. But the book that I read talks about Adam. So, so let's agree that you may, we may disagree on was there other, another creation out there? Was there other, you know, that's the argument that uh, is that life somewhere else? It may be, but we gotta go with what we got here on earth or whatever. And then we talk even further, he said, well, you know, cause now I don't understand this, so I'm, this is, I'm out of my league, but I know a lot of the young people are talking about crystals and things like that, and I'm saying, I'm trying to wrap my mind around these crystal things. What the, well, I, got, I don't even know what they look like, but, but I get peace when I have my crystal. Okay, your crystal give you peace. Okay, I got it. So I guess, you know, people believe in aromatherapy. You know, people got their house scented up, saying to give them peace. If that works for you, I ain't gonna argue with you about that. But what I'm gonna say is, you can't allow those crystals to be your God. Now he will come back at me and say, well granddad, you know, you go, everything is created by God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness they are. The crystals come from the earth. God created them. So why can't they be used for good? You wearing a copper knee band. That copper come from the earth and you think it's helping your operator. Okay. Got a point. Gotcha. Now that we agree that God created everything, do you worship those crystals? Do you think that you can't function with the spirit that's on the inside of you, or do you need those crystals? No different in countries I've been in where people have beads, worry beads. When they feel like, hey, something's going on, they just start playing with these little beads, and they feel like it give them a peace, give them calm. Okay, if that's work for you, but don't let that become your God. I don't think God got a problem with it, and, and, and so, what we got to understand is that as these things come out and people are talking about them, the key thing that we got to get them back to is, okay, you got crystals, but what do you believe about Jesus? 
Do your crystals connect you to him? Because if they don't connect you to him, then they ain't going to save you. And that's kind of where we kind of end our conversation right there. Because, I mean, Jesus is a deal breaker for some people. But we got to stand on this truth, even though there are some people out there that may have good arguments based upon the times that we're living in. And I'm pretty sure there's nothing new under the sun. I'm pretty sure this mystical stuff was going on even during Bible days. Because the Bible talks about that. But, but still, we got to stand on the truth that we got presented to us from the Word of God and, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Brother Herb, did you want to say something? Yeah, just some more explanation. I know Brother Mike mentioned about we're a tribe being in flesh and soul and spirit. There is a, uh, what's, what's the story? What's the soul? I mean, is you saying that we are a spirit, but what's the soul? What does it mean to when I think it says in the word also it says that that uh, God and Satan want your soul. So where does the soul come in? Explain to me about about the soul. Uh, go ahead, yeah, but you know, and again, before you say that, Mike, let me be clear. There is not total agreement on the three parts. There are some people that see the soul and the spirit as being synonymous. And so you're just a spirit and your body. But then there are writings where Paul talked about being separated by your soul, your spirit, and your body. So I won't argue that because the, the word that they use in Hebrew, ruha, for spirit, and, and, and soul are sometimes used interchangeably. But the way I normally, when I'm think, talking about it from a three-part being, okay, I see your physical body is your, your physical body. You in the physical, in the flesh. Your soul, your mind, your will, your intellect, your imagination, your emotion, all those things inside of you, deep down inside of you. And then your spirit is that part of you that relates to God. Okay. But if someone say, hey, well, that soul and spirit sound like they're the same, based upon how the, the Greek and the Hebrew words kind of come so close together, they ain't got no problem. I won't argue with them about that. Because that is not something that's that going to send either one of us to heaven or hell. But in your soul, or whatever you want to call it, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then if you believe that, then we can say tripart or two-part. I done heard great theologians argue those points. And it just depends on what camp you're in and how you... Interpret scripture. Well, if you go back in Genesis, and I think this would, uh, if you go back in Genesis in chapter 2, when he mentioned also um, in, chapter, um, in verse 7, there's three parts there is the flesh, God formed the man from the dust and the ground. Uh -huh. We consider that the flesh. So he said he breathed life into him. That means to me that spirit. Uh -huh. His spirit. Then he said, and he became a living, a living person. A living being. That yes. dirt became life. That's, life came. That, to me, that's, isn't that the soul? Uh, that what?
But that is three things. There's three things. That is the spirit. But most religions, I apologize. Most that's religions. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, Good comment. Most religions uh, do the three part and the two part, but it depends on what branch of Christianity you're in. But if you're reading your regular Bible, it's typically two parts. Soul and spirit are typically the same thing. Mm -hmm. But it's just the essence of life and the connection between you and God. Okay. And again, you know, if you read some of Paul's writings, he said, you know, my, my whole spirit, soul, and body. So there are things that, but when you look again, going back to the etymology of the root of the word that is used, some of those words are the same word that used interchangeable when you look up pneuma, you know, uh, uh, pneuma for spirit. Sometimes it says also sometimes referred to as the soul of man based upon how interpreters translate the Bible. So, so I, and I agree that, uh, that's, that that is a reality, but it's not something that is a deal breaker. You know, so if one person, because I know, I think it was Kenneth Hagin, one of those uh, 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 great teachers of the word, you know. I think he, he was a spirit, soul, and body. I think a lot, I t a lot of guys I read are called spirit, soul, and body. But then there are other people I read that see the soul and the spirit being two just different in essence. I mean, so I, I think the connection that we're making is that we are spiritual beings. And we are, have a fleshly body. And so whether or not my mind, my will, my intellect, and my essence is connected to my spirit, you know, like I say, it just depends on who you read and what commentary you, you pick up. But, but it's not something that I think you ought to say, oh man, because of that, you're not a Christian. No, because that is not a foundational thing that we gotta believe in to be a Christian. What we gotta believe in to be a Christian is the resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he was raised from the dead? Yes, okay, we're on the same sheet right there. Now whether we, whether we feel like you know, we ought to have two services or one service, or we ought to celebrate this and don't celebrate that. That's a matter of tradition, culture, or whatever you want to call it. Let's find out the foundation of things that we agree on and the principles that we agree on. And then when it comes to methodology, how you do it, how this church do it, how that denomination do it, that's why in the Christian faith, there is so many denominations because little things like that, they build a doctrine on. And when they build that doctrine on, then everybody kind of believe, got to believe it. No different than when churches built the doctrine on the day of Pentecost. And those churches that stand on Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, then call themselves Pentecostal churches, they're going to live and breathe and do everything in accord with that Acts chapter 2 and, and play that out. And that's fine. But there are others who saw that as a, a one-off and don't necessarily embrace that concept of speaking in tongues and, and all the other things that come up. And, 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 and that's where I think... Christianity got really branched out after we came out of the Catholic Church because then when, when the, the Protestant came and, and John Wesley was a Methodist and, and uh, Martin Luther, I think was a, I don't, he was German, but I'm not sure exactly which line of faith he, he started. But from that, all these other religions kind of branched off. And when I did my study on the origin of all the denomin denomination, I won't say religion, denomination, where did the Baptist start at? They, they probably took some of the teachings of John the Baptist and said, hey, we're going to believe in this, and you got to do this, this, and this, and we're going to call ourselves Baptists. What are the Methodists? Well, we took our stuff from John Wesley, and he had a method for everything, so we're going to call ourselves Methodists. And then Church of God in Christ. Well, we kind of a spinoff of Pentecostalism because we believe everything they do when it comes to tongues, but we don't necessarily believe this, this, and this. 
then if you go on the Seventh-day Adventist, okay, we're going to stick to the Jewish faith a little bit by saying, hey, Saturday is it? It's Saturday, and I ain't going to argue that. <laughs> Saturday is, yeah, the seventh day. The first day of the week is Sunday. But now I don't believe God going to send me to hell because I come to church on Sunday and not on Saturday when any day can be a day of worship, a high day. But if, 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 if I'm going to see that as a deal breaker, then I'm going to go to the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's no different than churches that believe that you should eat in accordance with the first parts of the Bible that we ought to be vegetarian. And, and miss over the part that he came back and said, God said you can eat all flesh. You know, you can eat, but, but they stick with the vegetarian. So when people get in their belief, I don't argue those type points because we're never going to always agree. What I want to know is what is the foundation that you believe. Forget about the day of worship. I don't see it as a deal breaker, but what do you believe about Jesus? And if we can agree on what you believe about Jesus, then I will find common ground with your method. Because methods that we employ as we worship is just as much cultural as it is spiritual. But Fred? I, I believe that the, the soul is a part of us and how we spirit. Because Jesus said, my spirit is not dwelling in my spirit place. But we know our bodies and our flesh is our sin. But I, I think the soul is a spirit is how we and, and, that, and that may be true, Fred, but I don't think you can pinpoint a scripture that say that. You are interpreting what something that Jesus said, but is that interpreted to specifically mean that, or is that the way you understand it? So someone else may read that and get a different understanding. That's why when Jesus was talking to his disciples one time, he gave them a commandment, and then he asked them the question, now how do you read it? Because he knew each one of them heard the same thing, but it was a good possibility they was not going to interpret it and say it the same as they heard it. So, and it's the same way. We can all read a passage of scripture based on our level of growth and maturity and the study that we've done. We can read that and not all see it the same way. But we got to see the Son of God, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We, we can't be wavering on those things. Because he said that in the beginning of the chapter. Hey, this is what everything is built on. And the resurrection is a fundamental part of what we believe. Okay, let me go ahead and read on. Let me read on. Because look, he says, in verse 43, I'll read that again. He says, look, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness because this flesh, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried in natural bodies, physical, but they will be raised spirit, as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. That's another one of those things. People can read that and say, well, what does a spiritual body look like? Well, somebody will say it's a spirit. You don't see spirit. But you see a spiritual body. It could be a body that is spiritual in essence, but it still has a form or a shape. So again, it, Paul is not clear here, but he just made the point that, hey, there are natural bodies and there are also spiritual bodies. And in the natural, based on understanding, most of the time when we think of things spiritual, we think invisible. That may be right, 
but it could be spiritually biblical. I don't know. Let, let me read on. So look at this. Because what we got to see, he said, now look, the scripture tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, became a living, life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. In what form, shape? Just say, well, the spirit, so we'll say, okay, for the sake of understanding, we'll just say he was a life-giving spirit that was invisible. But do you think that, and this is just Pastor Bo National question, and you'll answer your do you think when the body talking about Christ seated at the right hand of God and in heaven, do you think that's just some invisible, or do you think there's an essence to that spiritual being? Yeah. And, and again, your answer is your answer, because I, I can't find the Bible that argue with you one way or the other, but when you read that and you and you thinking of it the way it sounds, you're going to have something two entities sitting there, are they going to be there in essence in some type of shape or fashion or form, or, or are they going to, you know, are we going to see them beaming up? So, but, but what he does tell us is Christ is a life-given spirit. We can agree with that, but what is the essence of that? Is it is an invisible spirit? Let's say, for sake of argument, invisible spirit. Okay, I can, I think it's more, because when we think of spiritual things, we automatically in our mind think of invisible things, things we can't see, things that have no matter, a mass to it. So we can, we can say, okay, he's a living spirit. Okay, well, what's he going to look like? He's a spirit. So if we can see it, then that's flesh. That's, that's, if we can see something, I mean, that's, if we can touch it, feel it, see it, that's, that's flesh. That's now, now, now look at this. Let me read the next verse. <laughs> he says, look at this. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Okay, we're invisible spiritual bodies. That's what you said, they can't see it. So it's a body, but it's invisible. You, we can't see it. But, but, but we know it's a body. Right, so, so it exists in just a different form. So if I can exist when I first come as natural, and then I can exist in another form, which Christ did, as a spirit, where you can't see. Okay. Any other comment? Any other comment? Again, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to read this and get you to see if we sit here and think with our natural minds about this and then go back and do some study, word study, word by word and line by line and try to come up with this, we can see whereas based upon our understanding and interpretation, we could probably come to some different conclusion. It may not make any of us right or wrong because I don't think I'm trying to prove right or wrong because I'm just trying to prove still that there's going to be a resurrection. 
And as long as I know there's going to be a resurrection, if you think we're going to come back looking like leaves and that call that spiritual, I ain't going to whatever you say. I ain't trying to win that argument. I just want you to believe that there is a resurrection. Because again, God makes it clear, man, we, we don't have it all now. We only see it in part. And so some of us see a little bit more than others. Paul says some things that the, the other apostles never said. But Paul really said something that was deep that started people to make it, uh, doctrinal teachings on it when he said, I went up into the third heaven. He said that one time in the Bible, he went up to the third heaven. So people interpret that and say, okay, there must be three heavens. Where are they? Are they a good heaven, a medium heaven, and then just a social heaven? So if there are three heavens, there are some people that teach then that no matter what you do, you're going to end up in one of the... If you was a so-so, you get in the first heaven. If you was medium Christian, you get in the second heaven. If you was the best, you get in the third heaven. Well, some people say maybe he was talking about the heavenly essence like the earth and then the atmospheric heaven, the star, and then the heaven as a place that God abode as the three heavens, third heaven. But people interpreted that differently. And, and I'll listen to you and I can say, okay, I got my opinion on that, but then I won't argue you down if you believe. But I will argue the fact that you think anybody can live any kind of way and they're just gonna get in the first heaven. I mean, if you would justify that. And so you justify that to say that you don't believe in the existence of a hell because there are a lot of people who do not believe that there's gonna be a physical hell. And that's why even today, a lot of preachers stay away from that. They're afraid to talk about hell because they know that that subject turns people off because everybody think of hell and damnation and nobody want to feel like they come to church to get told about damnation all the time. But the, Jesus said, you know, he talks about that. So I don't argue that. Now, when is it going to be existing? I mean, that, there can always be discussion about when certain things are going to take place. I mean, and, and I don't want to confuse this topic by talking about what people say, what the place of the dead is, where they go. Is there a holding place? Because the Bible said, that, you know, when Jesus was crucified, he went down and he set the captives free. So it looked like he let somebody out. That's what Peter writes about. And so who was he setting free? Well, some people say, well, maybe that was the Old Testament saints that, da, 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 that died without knowing grace. Okay. I don't know. It's in the Bible. I'm not trying to, I'm not going to argue that one way or the other, but there are things in here that sometimes, you know, we can get wrapped around, but in the big picture, it's just good knowledge to have, but they're minor when it comes to somebody's soul, and that's salvation. You know, and sometimes, I, I used to love it when I was under this minister, a pastor, and he used to always say, try your best not to major on minor. Don't major on a minor issue in the Bible and argue that, and then you don't major on the major. The major is what Paul told him at the very beginning of this chapter. You got to major on that. All this other stuff y'all arguing about, hey, one day it's going to be figured out, and you'll know when the Lord reveals it. Brother Herb, go ahead.
Elijah. Elijah. They thought Elijah and, and Moses and uh, another one to fight. And Jesus transformed. Jesus. Uh -huh. what's, what's that? You know what I'm saying? You know, to a point where they saw him. And then it disappeared. He was moving around. Um, I know Jesus also gave a Those are all good questions, you know, and so what we can do is like, when I get to the place like that with about the spirit, I just go, go back and look up the, 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 the origin of the word and how they used it. So when they talk about spirit, it's almost like breath. Something that you can't see, but you can feel, you can sense. It's just like the wind. That's why they call them parallel pneuma with the wind. You can feel its effects, but you can't see it. You can see its effect when the wind blow down a house. You can see, wow, the wind did that, but you don't actually see the wind. When a flag is blowing outside, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. And so, you know, th these, are, these are interesting topics, and I'm pretty sure that somewhere in, in all of this, God's going to reveal it all to us. And what I try to do is that, hey, let's stick with the things that we know for sure, and then, you know, we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight and wisdom on those things that is widely disagreed on. Even in Christianity, I mean, there's a lot of disagreements on certain passages of Scripture. But I've always been taught, you don't build a doctrine on one passage of Scripture. So what I try to do whenever I'm studying God's Word, I try to see if God's setting a pattern. Does he say this more than one time in the Bible? And if he does, then I can say, okay, I got a good idea how God may operate in this in this case, based upon how he has done things nine other times. This is his MO. This is how he does things. And instead of saying one scripture where something is said, and then now you build a whole doctrine around that one scripture. Brother Fred, then we're going to move on. We can't see the Holy Spirit, but the Bible gives us a way of identifying the Holy Spirit produces fruit. You say you should know them by their fruit. So, so that's what, when you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know that the Holy Spirit is there and is is at work. Okay, when you're talking about and when we're producing love and peace and joy and self-control and all those things in our lives, it's evident that the Holy Spirit is in us producing and causing us to live like God wants us to live. Now look, let me go back and read for, verse 47. He says, Adam the first man made was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ the second man came from heaven. So Adam was dust, Christ came from heaven's spirit. Even though he was born in a physical body, 
he was still not from the dust. He wasn't created like we were. Okay, that's all he's pointing to. He says, now look, earthly people are like earthly man, and heavenly people are like heavenly man. I wish he had told us and told us clearly what heavenly man looked like. I mean, it'd be nice he said, well, you know, heavenly man gonna have two eyes and two ears, and you know, they're just gonna look different from earthly man, or they're gonna be see-through. You can see through them, but you're gonna see the shape, you know, you're gonna, he, he, he left a lot for us to kind of wrap our mind around here. And, and the more we wrap our mind around our imaginations, that soul is part of us, get in there, and we can create our own version of what this looks like. So look what he says. He said, now, just as, just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. He says, what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that your physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot, cannot inherit what will last forever. So our physical bodies can't inherit it, but our heavenly bodies will. And the big if question, what does the heavenly body look like? They just say it goes on our spiritual body. So I mean, we, we can have that debate in that discussion. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, this is my physical body, but like when we uh, turn ourselves over to God, right? Like, when, going back to Adam, when Adam did what he did, it gave us a choice, and sin came in the world, right? So then God came down and showed us in the earthly body how we should live and how, how we can be like him. Mm-hmm. So, like, in my mind, it's like the Holy Spirit. Well, that, that, that is, you know, Jesus kind of said you can't separate that. You know, when you say accept him, he said you're going to send his spirit. So in order to say that you are saved, you got to have his spirit. Yeah, you got, you got to have his spirit. Because he, 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 he said he was going to send us his spirit. And, and Romans talk about that, that when you say you accept Christ, then therefore you are accepting the spirit. Now, uh, verse 51, he says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. This is where we get to another week. We could be here all night. We wouldn't, we would not all die, but we will all be transformed. Some of your Bibles Bible say, Bible say caught up. This is where we start talking about the terminology of the rapture. And you know what kind of confused us? Some of y'all too young, but years ago, some, uh, some very powerful men of God wrote a book called Left Behind. And it was geared toward trying to depict how the rapture was gonna play. And they played it out, you know, you, you know when, when, when it's a caught up, you're gonna just disappear just like that. 
And so they, wrote, they, they did a movie with it. You know, they show people, you know, fl guy flying a plane and all of a sudden the rapture come, boom, he gone. And, and, and the point they were trying to make is whatever it is, you don't want to be left behind when he come back to catch up his children, to transform. But that was a movie, and I think that movie, because they depicted it like that, gave a lot of people the wrong impression of what the rapture or what that experience is going to really be like. And I don't think no set of theologians all agree, because that gets us into the bigger argument about the rapture of the church, and then that thousand year period of time, the millennial, where you know that's going to be a lot of chaos and stuff going on the earth. And so the argument becomes now, well, when that go on, is God going to already rapture the church out before that pre-tribulation, as you want to call it? And, and so if the church is gone, we don't care about that thousand-year period. But then there's other people say, no, the church is going to be here because they're going to still be trying to save folks during that thousand-year period. So it's, that's a big argument. And they use big terms in, in, the, in, in theology like premillennium, postmillennium, and where, are, where do you stand on where the church is going to be during that millennial period, that thousand-year period and all that. And again, my own personal belief, I don't believe God is going to take the church out and leave the world just in chaos for that thousand years. I believe there's going to be some people down here in the earth that's going to be Christian, that's going to be here during the tribulation, and they're going to still be trying to get folks saved during that time. But if you believe that the church is going to be already gone and there's going to be bad folks down here going through hell for a thousand years, I won't argue you with that because you can find arguments on both sides of that and they can support it with scriptures that they have interpreted to mean one or the other. Brother Mike?
type of music that we have. So this, at that time, the map of the beast is going to go up. So then the people who don't receive the map will be saved, but they cannot be saved by the gospel. They can be saved by not receiving the map. And during that period of time, they cannot buy, they cannot sell. So which means they have no freedom. So then you will be caught, you will be killed. And you will be saved, but you are called the children can be saved. That is the slaves that this time there is no gospel. So now we are living in the time which is the, set, the, the day of the church. We are in the church age. So the rapture can take place anytime, which is a moment period in the Bible. And those who are left behind, it will be no gospel for them. It will be fifty six for them. It cannot be. It cannot be that is And and again, I, like I say, there's there's a, a, a argument on both sides of that. And just a matter of which scripture do you feel and how you interpret them to feel that, like I say, this is nothing new, premillennium, postmillennium, antitrib, pre-trib. I mean, that's just doctrinal teaching and depends on what school of theology you come out of, which one you embrace. Because each side can find scripture to support what they believe based upon what is written in Revelation. It is no different about, you know, when they talk about the, the kingdoms that's going to come, and people have talked about, well, that must be talking about China. Well, the Bible don't say that. But people have associated that with countries out of prophecy, and it, to me it's no different with someone trying to prophesy uh, and saying that they know when the Father is coming back. People have said that over the centuries. Well, the end is coming. End time. It's going to be this day. Well, he said no man knows. So he said that that's enough for me. So when I hear somebody say they, they got it all like that. And I, like I said, I don't know. And that's what I say. When it comes to that, that my understanding of that, I, I side with the fact that the church is going to be here during the trip. Not the church is going to be gone and only going to be left two people or two witnesses to come back. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't believe, I just don't believe that, but I, I, like I said, I'm not so hard over on that, that I got to say, I think I'm right on that. If you tell me, hey, the church is going to be gone, and some people think that if you tell a church that they're going to be gone, then that will, ha that will make them not live as if they have to keep on doing something while they're here, because they say, hey, we ain't going to have to go through nothing. We're going to be gone when all the bad stuff comes. Well, if that's what you want to believe, that's fine. I mean, and, and, and so, like I say, you know, we can have that conversation, but there's good arguments on both sides. And when I read and study, I just try to read both of them, say, okay, close my eyes, meditate on them, and say, okay, Lord, speak to me and let me know where I feel like I'm on this. But it's not a feeling that I'm trying to say, I got to say I'm right and someone else is wrong. I just say, you know, we believe that there is going to be a time, a period of tribulation. We just kind of maybe disagree where the church is going to be. And so again, these are good, that's why I say this is a tough chapter. This is a tough part of the book right here because a lot of things he wrote here have been taken in, 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 you know, in, in different ways. He says, but let me, I think I left on 52. He says, it was, talking about the, the, the rapture, the transformation, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the trump will blow, for the, when the, trump, the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and we who are living will be transformed. So again, Paul leads us to believe that when Jesus comes back, you know, there are gonna be people still living 
who's going to be transformed with new bodies because they believe in him. Okay? Then he says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Just one dies, the other one don't. Then verse 54 it says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, and, and, and again, it's when they use that word bodies there, it, it kind of gives you the kind of mindset that, okay, he didn't say spiritual again, he just said bodies that will never die. So is that a spiritual something, that essence that we can't see, or is it a body that is it, that's, it's spiritual in, in nature that even though it got, a, it got a shape form, it's not an invisible something. Come on, again, what it's going to look like? I don't know. I can't tell you that. All I know is he said that, hey, you know, that body going to live for forever. He said, now look, verse 54 again, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, then the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Again, we already know and established that as long as we're living until this time come, every man that's born of a woman is going to die. You know, it's appointed, you know, to, to die once and then the judgment. So we understand that. And he says now, because of that, death is still having victory, but the ultimate victory over death will come when Jesus comes back and those who are living will be caught up because now the sting of death will be taken away because those who would never experience death again. He said, now look, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. Again, we talked about that a little bit on Sunday. You know, the law came to identify what was sin, and because nobody could keep the law, man was always bound by sin. So Jesus came to free us up from that so that we're no longer under the curse or the bondage of the law because we are in him and we have accepted him. And so therefore, we're believing that, okay, at one point in time, some point in time, death will no longer have a sting in that, when that ultimate victory takes place when Jesus returns. Because that's why we talk in terms like this, there will be no more dying there, no sickness, no, no, you know, no crying, nothing but shouting and joy. I mean, we talk in language like that based on certain passages in the book of Revelation. When you go back and read some of the things that Revelation talk about that's going to happen uh, at the return of Christ. Now look at this. Then he kind of said, okay, I done told you all those doctrinal things and I done told you all those things based upon what the Spirit has revealed to me. Then he kind of brings it back to the argument where they need to be when it concerns their faith in all this. Because then he come back and say, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So regardless of what all I've said, we give God thanks because we got victory over sin and death. Death is not the end for us. It's not, it, it is a passageway to somewhere better. That's what we believe. We don't believe that, hey, once a person dies, that's it. No, we believe that, hey, that physical body, yes, is going back to what God says is going to go, but hey, there's something happening to the spiritual part of that person and that we're going to live again. That's a truth that we just have to hold on to. And, and sometimes because 
that's something that we have to accept by faith, then it can be difficult when, when, when you know, because you, you, you read this and you say, man, he wrote that over, you know, 2,000 years ago, and he said the end was near. But it's 2,000 years later, and ain't nothing happened. He ain't come back yet. But what happened was, during that time, these people lived as if though the end was going to be happening down in their lifetime. That, that was the mindset that they was operating under that was going to be in their lifetime. But now, do we live today like we think that Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime? I don't think most Christians do, even though he told us to watch and pray and be ready because you don't know when the bridegroom is going to come back. So our marching orders is, hey, not try to figure out when he's coming back, just be ready when he come back. So he said, now look, and he, and he encouraged him, he says, now look, so in the last verse, so let me read 57 again. So thanks be to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. So then now he admonished him, said, so my dear brothers and sisters, you got to be strong and immovable. Because all this stuff I've been telling you, man, if your mind ain't fixed and you're not strong and immovable in what you believe in your faith, then some of these things that people are teaching you can shake your faith. So he says, now look, you got to be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is useless. So, so in that, instead of walking around arguing these things that may not be clear, we need to stay strong in what we believe. Jesus is the Son of God. He came for our sins. He died, was raised on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father. And now because we are in relationship with him, we got to maintain that faith and hope that there is a resurrection of death. Because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith makes me believe that what I'm hoping for is real. Hope is always based on a future expectation. None of us has been to heaven. None of us seen heaven. So, but we are hoping that there's a heaven. And faith makes me believe that there's a heaven even though I've never seen it. And when I lose faith, then I stop hoping. For, and that's why I tell people, you really don't need faith for stuff you can see. People go to church, I need faith to get me a car. No, you don't. No, you don't. Sinners get cars every day. You just need a job, good credit for it. You can get a car. You can get a car now with bad credit. So you need faith for that. Because you can see a car. It's there. You need faith for the things in this Bible that you cannot see. And the things that you cannot see because of faith, we hope for those things. And we hope must spring eternal. We never give up hope. You know, and sometimes, and there's a place in the Bible that says sometimes we hope against hope. In other words, when it looks hopeless, we still hope. And those are the type of things that when we are growing in the Lord and growing in grace and our faith grows, then when your faith gets strong, you understand the principle that you need to maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. And then realize that if people have been arguing some minor issues for years, they're going to keep arguing those issues. Another good issue that I, because in my life, I have been a part of a lot of different denominations. When I was in the military, we just traveled and I visited a lot of churches. 
And I remember one time I united with an apostolic church. Now, in the apostolic faith, they believe that everything must be in the name of Jesus. So they told me, how did you get baptized? I said, well, Reverend Alpha baptized me, and he said in the name of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's a fraudulent baptism. You ain't say, you got to get baptized again. Why? Because he didn't say in the name of Jesus. Man, look at here. You telling me the Reverend Alpha was going to send me to hell? He done, mis he done misunderstood and say, all this time I died, I'm going to hell, and I'm thinking I'm saved. So I say, man, wait, in the but there's one passage, a couple passages in Acts where it says the apostles baptized in Jesus' name. And they took that and they have made a doctrine out of that. And that's why they call themselves apostolics. Because they believe in everything that the apostles did. And so they just disregard what Jesus said in, in Matthew 28. Baptize me in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when I teach that, I tell people, hey, look, if you have that mindset, I'm going to say what Jesus said. But if you want me to say in the name of Jesus after that, I'll say that too. Because at the end of the day, this is a ceremony. What I say is not important. It's how you live once you come about this water. You know, but, but there's things like that that we argue over. People argue. So that, that blew my mind because I had never been to a church that was that dogmatic about that. And so I had to jet up out of there because I wasn't getting baptized again. But, but they told me if I didn't get baptized again, I wouldn't say. So I said, I got to go somewhere where don't believe like that. And it's no different where some churches don't believe that you ought to have instruments in church. They make a doctrine out of that. And so we get people that come from the Church of Christ that come to Stratton sometimes and say, you know, well, we don't, we sing, we don't sing with instruments. And we don't fellowship at church. Well, where do you get that from? Well, you know, when Paul told them in Corinthians that they don't turn, you know, the worship service to a party. Okay, that's a scripture you write. But I don't think he was talking about music in church, and I don't think he was talking about eating dinner after church. I think he's talking about that we in here worshiping, and all of a sudden we, we you know, we drinking beer and everything and talking about while I'm up here trying to preach. That, that's different. But if I went to that church, I would have to live by those rules. So I don't say they're right or wrong. I just say that's how they interpret scripture. And, and that's where it becomes difficult because every major denomination picked a part of the Bible that they hang their hats on, and based on that, that's why they are who they are, based on that name. And you can just look, look them all up at your leisure. Any denomination, whether you want to look up Baptist, Methodist, Church of God in Christ, just look them all up and you'll see where they get their fundamental teaching from, and they'll find a scripture that they base that scripture on. And sometimes they will reverse, because when I was in the Church of God in Christ, they told us, if we didn't speak in tongues, we weren't saved. And, I, and coming out of the Baptist church, I had never been exposed to tongues. We, we never had faith for it because it was never taught to us. And so when I heard that, I said, man, again? But now over the years, they have changed their stance on that. So that let me know that was a man-made rule anyway. If they could change and say all of a sudden now, you can still be saved, but you don't have to speak in tongues, that means some man interpreted it wrong and they got, got reversed it. And so that's why I say to people, study to show yourself approved. Be like the Bereans. Don't take what you hear me say or other people say. Go home and let the Spirit of God minister to you, and then you apply based upon your spiritual growth. And as you grow more and more in the Lord, I guarantee you, if 
five years from now, you'll read the same passage of scripture, but you'll get a, a different understanding of it because your levels will have grown. Brother Herbert, we're going to close out. Everybody be standing up because we got to get out of here. Yeah, and that, that's, doesn't that go so long to understand that uh, when Jesus came, he didn't came for religion. And, and that's what we, when, when you see the different types of religions, and when you get caught in that, that's not what Jesus came for. He didn't, came, he didn't come for religion. Amen. And good point, because that's why a lot of people today say, we don't need organized religion to worship God. In other words, I don't need to go to church, I don't have to do all that. I can worship in my own way without organized religion. Well, you got to fellowship somewhere. You got to do something. Okay. All right, then. Some announcements before we get out of here real quick.